legacy means a lot of things to a lot of people. To some, it's lasting integrity. It's building and maintaining a history of greatness. It's making an impact on people and community. For others, it's dependable security and assurance in an uncertain time. To us, it's all of that and more. It's a mindset of brother and sisterhood of hardworking people dedicated to doing the right thing for you and those you care about. Of growing today for a better tomorrow. That's what legacy means at Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group. What does it mean to you? Let's talk legacy. Welcome to Let's Talk Legacy. I'm your host, Gary Michaels. I'm really excited about our guest today. Sandeep Chenakeshu is a tech executive and an author. He's the former chief technology officer of Ericsson Mobile Phones and Sony Ericsson, as well as former president of BlackBerry, which we all probably all had a BlackBerry. I know I did. He's currently chief operating officer at Under Inc., a pioneer in digital imaging radar, and has just released the new book, The Company is Your Castle. So welcome to our show, Sandeep. Thank you, Gary. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Absolutely. Let's get into this. Now, you, you entered the electronics industry during a time that seems almost ancient now, before so many modern technologies were even around. You led the development and launches of tech that billions use every day, from cell phones and laptops, satellites, medical equipment. So what was it like to get your start, you know, shall we say, before the tech boom? and to see how quickly things have developed. What was that like for you? Tell us a little bit about your story, how you got into that. Yeah, it's actually quite interesting. You know, I'm 65, so I have to go back a little while. Right. I, I got a bachelor's in electronics in India. I got into a very good management program, and it was fun. It was actually good to learn about management. But at the end of the program, I was yearning to get back into technology. So I, I got a fellowship, and I came to Canada, and then I basically came to the United States to do a PhD. So when I was in Canada, I was in Saskatchewan. One cold winter uh, afternoon, I was sitting in the library and reading about mobile phones. And I thought, wow, it was 1984. And I said, this is going to change the world. And I said, I've got to basically do something in this area. And uh, so I went to my professor and asked him, hey, how do I go about doing this? And he said, I can't supervise you, but you can go to America and hear two professors who might be able to. So I wrote to them. One gave me a scholarship and I came to do a PhD in mobile phones. Everyone told me at that time, you're nuts because you won't get a job. There's got to be a million phones sold by 2000 and nobody's going to be working on this. And by the way, these phones are big, but of course all technology evolves. And I said, I think I had the conviction to continue. And the minute I graduated, I had multiple people wanting to actually hire me. The first person would give me a job and an exciting job I could join, and that was GE Corporate Research. I took the job, I built a team, and it was very successful, and the team was bought over by Ericsson, and we became Ericsson Research. And we started basically inventing not just multiple cellular standards, but my boss came to me one afternoon and said, hey, uh, invent a 10-meter link. I was not the main inventor. My colleagues were. Well, that's called Bluetooth today. You created that? Uh, I didn't create it personally. My boss came to me with a napkin after lunch, and I had a whole research team. So we were basically working on 3G at that time. We were working on Bluetooth, and we were working on mobile satellite systems. And so together, 
A lot of us contributed, but you know, we also created a mobile satellite system that provides service even today uh, over Southeast Asia. So lots of inventions, and it was the best 18 years of my life, basically creating, building, and launching products around the world. And then I came back to America and I started working in the semiconductor industry. Uh, and semiconductors for consumer electronics, mobile phones, medical electronics, following which I, be I became a consultant. You know, basically took on five multinational clients and solving problems for them. Because the interesting part of that was I was looking at things from outside in, not inside out. And that gave me a different perspective on problem solving. The main thing is when you're looking outside in, you come with more preconceived notions. You have no background of what has been, what is happening, no legacy. So you can take a very fresh look at every problem, right? And really look at it from with a helicopter view. Rather, if you're too close to the fire, you know, or too close to the uh, uh, the forest, you just look at the trees. You don't look at the forest as a whole. So it's very, very important that you can take an elevated view in order to solve problems with a fresh approach. That experience led me to BlackBerry, and I spent five years there, very, very good years, a wonderful company. And in BlackBerry, I basically worked with security and uh, with software for cars. That's in a lot of cars around the world. You know, a modern car has up to 100 million lines of software, probably more than any other device out in the market. It's what drives the car. And then I decided that I'd like to write a book based on my experiences and start working with startup companies that I had been consulting for. And I took a full-time role to basically work in a very advanced startup. Is that under or under? Well, I say under, but it's actually everyone else pronounces it as under. <laughs> okay. Is there a meaning to that name? When I talked to the CEO, he told me an interesting story. He wanted to call it under the radar, but the name under was taken, so he added H. <laughs> so Got it. So your company is your castle. Tell us a little bit about your book. Over my career, you know, I did very uh, a whole range of things. I did research. I built products. I ran companies or uh, businesses. I basically fixed broken businesses. And when I wanted to write the book, I asked myself, hey, what topics do you want to write about? Write about? And I read this really interesting article which talked about why two-thirds of all companies fail within 10 years. So in the first two years, about 20% of the companies fail. In, in five years, about 45% fail. And in 10 years, 65% fail. When I looked at all the reasons they fail, and I looked at my own journey, you know, I realized that two things. Uh, when I became a general manager, I knew a lot about technology and operations. But I knew nothing about business. You know, I had so many holes in my knowledge that I stumbled and I made a ton of mistakes. And uh, I slowly started piecing together a framework which allowed me to fix companies and actually grow them profitably. And I said, what if I capture all of these stumbling blocks that turned into stepping stones to success in a book? And then it led me to this, this analogy of using an extended metaphor analogy of a castle. So I used the backdrop of a medieval castle that has lasted several hundred years. How do these castles last through nature's elements and invasions? And in a business, it's very similar because a business was withstand macroeconomic factors like recessions, depressions, 
pandemics, etc. It's similar to nature's elements. And how do they basically withstand the enemy arrows, which are really competitors who try to eat your business every day? What are the elements of a business that you need, similar to the structural elements of a medieval castle, that will help it last? Would you mind sharing some of those elements with us? Yeah. So typically in a castle, you start by saying, where should the castle be built? You build it on bedrock in a strategic place. The position of the castle is very important for it to last. So similarly, in the case of a business, you basically have to choose your business model so it is sticky. That means that even if you have competitors, people will continue to buy from you and not from your competitors. So the first thing I talk about is how do you build a sticky business model? Then you need a foundation for the castle that you build on this bedrock or this unassailable position, which is your business model. And that foundation is essentially how you basically generate cash. Because without cash, businesses fail. You know, in the example I gave earlier, when you look at these two-thirds of businesses that fail, 82% of them fail because they run out of money or they have cash problems. So the second part is foundation of this castle. If the foundation is not strong, you cannot build a magnificent castle on it. Is capital just money or is capital other things too? Well, I think capital is what you get, but how you manage it and how you invest it to grow your company, to generate more cash is what is as important or more important. How does cash flow in a company? What are the sources that actually generate cash? What are the things that consume cash? And how do you sometimes spend cash to generate more cash? The third part is how do you build a compelling strategy? You know, you can call that vision, but you really have to have a compelling strategy. You have to basically find opportunities that are large enough because you want to basically generate serious revenue. But is your product relevant to the market? How do you realize it's relevant to the market? How do you differentiate? And finally, when you have all of this, do you have the capability to actually execute your strategy? And the next element is culture. You know, Peter Drucker once said that when strategy and culture clash, culture always wins. Strategy is what you want to get done, but culture is what you actually get done. So how do you align culture with your strategy? And so there are two parts to it. How do you raise the right army? How do you basically get your employees to have certain beliefs and behaviors that helps your strategy? And the second part is how do you as a leader lead that army? And that's where vision, managerial courage, perseverance, conviction, communication, clarity, and things like that come into place. This is so good. Keep talking, my friend. What's your fifth one? So in the, the analogy in cast, of the culture, the castle keep. The keep is the central portion where the nobility lived. That's where your arms were kept. That's where your food was kept. And if the keep fell, the castle fell. Similarly, Culture, if the culture of a company fails, your company will fail. It doesn't matter what you have. So it's so important and it's the central portion of the castle. The next one is that now the perimeter wall, which surrounds the castle, has to be protected by towers. And the towers that protect your perimeter wall or strategy are product creation, product delivery, because you can't just create cool products. How do you deliver that? Because you can have the best weapons, but if they don't work, how does it matter? 
and product creation is the creation of these weapons and product delivery is do you have your products at the right cost? Do you deliver them on time? Do you have the right quality? And then the next tower is what I call, it's really your sales channels. How do you create effective sales channels? So I talk about different strategies to create effective sales channels and manage sales channels and help you grow your revenue. So, you know, the four towers are, uh, you know, product creation, product delivery, sales channel. The fourth one is execution. And the question is, how do you execute every day in every aspect of your business? It's like a race car, a Formula One race. You can't just have a good car and a good driver. You need to have a good crew. You need to have a lot of things working together. Lap after lap, you've got to win. So how do you create that execution engine? And I talk about how you build that with metrics. And the metrics have to be diagnostic. And if they're diagnostic, you can sense issues earlier and take action. You know, and I also talk about how managers, what sort of skills they should develop. A manager should be able to smell problems way in advance that they occur by just sensing from the metrics and the reviews, something's got, is amiss. When you're trying to solve a problem, how do you solve it, but manage the temperature of your team? Because if you panic that, you yell, scream, and panic that nothing's going to get solved. You've got to manage the temperature of your team to make them productive and not make them feel under pressure, but they're actually doing something that's going to help them. The last part is what I call stakeholder confidence. And there are three stakeholders that are very important. One is your investors. The other is your customers. And the third are your employees. You're in, without investors, you don't have money. Without customers, no one pays you to do good things. And without employees, you cannot do good things because you can't build anything. So how do you keep all three of these constituent stakeholders happy? I then ask the question, now that you've learned to build a castle, how do you run the castle? That means you have to build yourself. And I talk about seven beliefs that help you build yourself to run this castle. What is it? Uh, you have to be right before others can be right. I've written an article also in uh, CEO World on the seven beliefs. I basically talk about how you should dream with conviction. Just like I dreamt about mobile phones. And even though people told me not to get into it, I did go into it because I had conviction. And then when I moved away from research and went into products and fixing companies, that was moving out of my comfort zone. You got to basically change your mindset. And for some time, you have to give up being the expert to learn, reinvent yourself, adapt. And then you have to learn from success and failure. You know, success is exhilarating and failure is dampening. But sometimes the lessons of failure actually tell you what you need to correct so that you don't make the mistake again. And that is probably far more character building than anything else. And how do you deal with adversity? Right. As a leader, you will be faced with a lot of adversity. Curiosity. How can you be curious every day to evolve? And then how do you stay true to yourself? Right? Because nobody will believe more in you than yourself. They're all so important. I often talk about a thing called the ideal wheel, the seven areas of your life that you want to be strong in. And if you're weak in one, I kind of uh, make it an analogy to a bicycle 
wheel and you're going down the bike and there's the spokes of the wheel. And if you were to rank yourself one to 10 in each of the areas, um, what if one spoke is a three and the other spokes a 10 and we're talking things like your family life, your social, your financial, your career, your health, all different things that are important to you. And if one area is not good, it affects the others, right? Absolutely. It's a bumpy road down the life, but you've got your seven beliefs here. Are they all tied to each other? Or if you're good in one and not so good in another, is that going to be a failure in your business? How, how do you look at that? No, I think, I think first of all, these seven beliefs, you know, everyone's career journey is a personal journey. Right. So no two people will have the same formula, right? Because it's personal. These are just seven beliefs that can help you build certain capabilities. But if I asked myself, what are the three qualities that help me the most in running all my businesses or being or getting any modicum of success anywhere? Because most of my success came from my people, my, my teams. They were outstanding. They helped me achieve whatever I've achieved. The three things that I would say is the most important quality that I've found is one is conviction. You have to believe in what you do. I believe that so much. The second is managerial courage. When you're running a business, every day when you walk into the business, you have to leave your friendship badge at the door. You come in, you make decisions based on not who you know, but what they know. Okay? It is based on the merit of the argument and nothing else. And so unless you show that fairness and that managerial courage to address wrong things and do the right things for the benefit of the company, right? It's very difficult because people are watching you. So if you set the wrong example, it's going to go the wrong way. And your team will do half of what you do right and twice of what you do wrong. Exactly. And you're asking them to follow you when they don't know you well enough. Okay. So in order to follow you to a new territory, you need them to believe in you. And last is focus. I'm probably uh, probably focused way too much. I'm into too many details. I should probably give up some. But I believe in a very structured, disciplined manner. And that's also what keeps me sane. Because by being disciplined and structured and compartmentalizing what I do every day, I'm able to switch tracks in an efficient manner. Hey, wow. And this is good stuff. Really good stuff. So... It sounds to me like you're such a man that wants to leave an impact on people. Legacy is part of you. What does legacy mean to you? Yeah, you know, all of us, you know, come into this world knowing very little or nothing. And then we are shaped by our experiences. And I was very fortunate. I was fortunate in three ways. I was fortunate that professors, managers took an interest in me they imparted their knowledge, their wisdom. And also, that is one. The second is I got, the, I got in fantastic opportunities. I had a rich cultural journey along my career. I worked in, I ran operations in over 14 countries. You know, I lived with people. I learned so much from different cultures. I learned so much from what everyone taught me. And finally, right, you know, I had great employees that also corrected a lot of things that I did wrong. So when you have a connection of knowledge, the key for me in a legacy is to impart that knowledge. Right? How do you share it? it? And that's exactly why I wrote the book. It is to share that knowledge widely and also 
hopefully I'll make more contacts. And, uh, you know, I've always done a lot of pro bono work in sharing knowledge and mentoring people. And I'd like to continue doing that in the final chapter of my life. Yeah, well, you, you've had a, a long career and you're still, in my mind, fairly young at 65 years old. And the way you talk and give, you know, reflect on what you've done, you, you've got a lot more to bring to this world. But you've worked in so many companies and so many different roles, Sandeep. You, you've been a prolific inventor with over 180 or so patents. What do you feel is truly your professional legacy? Is there a particular patent or project that you worked on that you really feel has been the most important? You know, every every project I've worked on is equally important because the things I have done, whether it is uh, in cell phones, whether it's enabling communications across the world, whether it's bringing a network to a country, or basically cars that you interact with every day. You know, everything's been equally important, right? But I have a joke, actually. I'm going to share you the lighter side of me. <laughs> yeah, sure. Somebody once asked me in an interview, I was being interviewed for a CEO position, and they brought this psychologist to say whether I'm completely nuts or not. You know, so the psychologist asked me, somebody you have 180 patents? And I said, okay, what's the question? And she said, what are your two best patents? And I told her, you know, I think that my two best inventions are my two children. <laughs> and I said, they're wonderful kids and that's it. But she started, she cracked up and said, okay, this guy is probably okay. So, you know, like uh, I've enjoyed every every job and every job brings new challenges that had not been solved before. And that is what excites me, right? And it's it's also teaching the team how to solve hard problems because that has a multiplier effect. I've always believed that the people around me were smarter than me, but maybe my experience helped me look at, you know, it's like climbing a mountain. If you are at the base of the mountain, you can only see around you. If you're on top of the mountain, you can see the whole valley. So as you go further and further up the mountain, you see a lot more. You might not be able to solve the problems, but you can at least point out what issues need to be addressed. And I want to be that person who's able to impart that insight to solve problems. Got it. So a couple last questions for you. Is there anything that you've worked on that you think was the right idea, but maybe just before it's time? For example, we had another guest on our show, Sun Yu, who came up with an early version of Shazam, but at a time before streaming services or iTunes, there was just nowhere to send people to once they knew the song. Have you had a really great idea that flopped because it was just too early for the market? Yeah, actually, I have in my book, I talk about one incident that I have a fair amount of regret about. And in 2002, you know, we had built a phone called the P900 in Ericsson and Sony Ericsson. It was a full screen phone, which used a, a little pen, a stylus to basically take icons. It was very much like the modern smartphone. It was a superb phone. And my boss and I used to meet regularly for dinner. And he uh, told me, Sandeep, you know, the future is all about the user interface. This was way back in 2002. And he said, you know, we should get rid of this pen and we should get people to basically use their fingers to pick icons, do things on their screen, no more keypads and stuff like that. And he had this vision of the, making this phone thinner 
and having this beautiful intuitive interface called the feel interface, which Sony had invented. And if we had done that, it would have been the perfect precursor to the iPhone. For business reasons, the business decided to kill that product. Oh, geez. Every time you see an iPhone right now, you're probably like, geez. No, no, but actually I credit, I credit Steve Jobs and say, you know what? He had the guts to do this. We didn't. Got it. And so the conviction he had goes back to what I said earlier. This is why I admire him. He had the conviction to bet his business on it. And it is where, what got him to where he is. And we who invented this whole concept earlier, abandoned it. So it's probably the one thing that I will never forget <laughs> in my life. And it actually, the people that have the willpower and conviction to make something happen always win. Exactly, because you know, when you're, when you're doing badly, you have these scores of skeptics who will tell you that, see, I told you, and, uh, you know, you don't need to be told by them. If you, if you listen to them, of course, you're going to do something wrong. You've got to believe in what you're doing. And, you know, if you do, uh, usually it turns out okay. Yeah. So how would people get in touch with you if they wanted to get your book, use you as a consultant, just have more conversations with you? I, you have so much knowledge, my friend. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Gary. So uh, first, you can get my book on Amazon. For those of you that joined us late, the book is called Your Company is Your Castle. That's one. I have a website. It's sadhvichenakeshumaifulmeet.com. And there you can get information. There's also on my LinkedIn page, if you go to my contact information, you can also have you know my email address. Okay. So there's multiple ways to get in touch with me. I'm always happy to help if I have more time. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for your time. Gosh, Thank you so much for coming on our show. You, you're really making an impact currently just for what you're doing today and, and what you want to do the rest of your life. But what you've done for our world, Sandeep, is, is really something. Thank you so much, Gary. It's wonderful. Thank you again for the opportunity. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and want to learn more, visit us at southwesternlegacy.com. Shoot us an email via our easy contact form to find out how you can become an agent or how we can meet your needs for final expense coverage. You can find this and other episodes at letstalklegacypod.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Let's Talk Legacy is a presentation of the Southwestern Legacy Insurance Group, a member of Southwestern Family of Companies. Thank you.